0: Well, good morning, church. Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us today. Good morning to our Crescent campus. Everybody watching online. Everybody at St. Greg's. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Genesis chapter twenty-eight is where we're going to start today. This is week number three of our series called "Be Bold," and we're talking about being bold and taking the steps that Jesus has called us to take. Today is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, let me say this, um, I'm glad you're here, because statistically, Father's Day is one of the lowest attended Sundays in the nation. It's between Father's Day and, and Memorial Day. Like, those are the, the two days that are just typically the worst. Now, Mother's Day, like, mom's like coming to church on Mother's Day, um, and you get guilted in to coming with your mom and church, and we do cool things for the moms. Um, we give, what did we do this year? We had hot cocoa, and um, cinnamon rolls, and they were fantastic. It was awesome. It was great. But Father's Day, like if you're from a church background, and if you're not, you're just going to have to take my word for it. But Father's Day are typically the Sundays in the church that the church beats up on men. And there are usually four points to every Father's Day message. And they're this. Number one, men, you suck. Number two, you really suck. Number three, knock it off. And number four, Jesus doesn't even like you. <laughs> and then we send them home, and then we wonder why they don't come back to church the following Sunday. As a matter of fact, they don't even come back until the following Father's Day. And so I thought today, um, today I want to be really discouraging. Um, I, I don't want to be discouraging. I really want to be discouraging. Is that what I just said out loud? I don't want to be discouraging. Um, what I want to do is I want to not just challenge the men, um, because I think there's something in the Scripture that can challenge All of us, each and every one of us. So if you're a a dad or a mom or a kid or you don't even have kids or whatever, um, I think today is really going to encourage you because I'm going to start out talking about something that I think every single one of us can relate to. Legos. How many of you, how many of you have ever played with Legos? You've ever played with Legos? If you don't have your hand raised right now, like you were deprived as a child and we need to get you some counseling or something, we can hook you up with that. Now for me, um, my son loved Legos. Um, When I was a kid... I played with ghetto Legos. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? Like there was like three colors, and they were like, they, they were these, like legit, like they were these these big blocks. And every once in a while, you got like two or three Legos and a Happy Meal, and then you got like 10 Happy Meals, and you could build like a straight line. And so like that's that's like what happened. Um, actually, Actually, growing up, I didn't even really have Legos. I had Lincoln Logs. Remember those? Lincoln Logs, like that, that's what I had. But today, today we have super, 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 super cool Legos. Um, we have things like this, Batman Legos. This is the Batmobile. I did not build this. A little boy named Gage built this. And this thing is sweet. I can't push down the thing, but it lights up and it rolls and the doors open. And and this thing is absolutely incredible. This thing took hours and hours and hours to build. That's why um, I didn't build it. But Gage is amazing at Legos. And um, he took this thing and he put it together like um, in less than a day. So I'm like, thank you, Gage, for building this for me. But when you're looking at this, this looks amazing, doesn't it? Like, like this is awesome. Like, when you're in the store, and you get this box, and you see this picture on the box, you're like, man, that thing is cool. Like, I want to build that. I, I want to have that. But the thing about Legos that is so challenging is we see the picture, and, and we can even read on the box where it says 10+, plus. this should say like, 90 plus, or something, <laughs> or engineering degree required, or something, the thing that's challenging is you have the picture, but the picture includes pieces, right? It, it's full of pieces. And, and what's funny is that some of, some of this, some of this, along with some more that's in the box, put together, actually becomes this. It, it really does. I mean, it doesn't look like this. Like, this doesn't here. This doesn't look like anything, right? But over time, and through people participating, this can become this. Now, let me me tell you where this relates. Some people here today, this is the life you thought you were going to have. This is what life actually feels like. Some people here, some people watching, some people, like this is the marriage that you thought you were gonna have. This seems to be how marriage feels every single day. This is the family that you were thought you were gonna have. This is the family that you've got. It's absolutely in pieces. Some of us here today, like, like this is what we thought the walk with Jesus was gonna be like. But over time, we have felt like it's not this, it's more of this. Like everything is just falling apart. Like everything in our life is just in pieces. Like we thought it was gonna be awesome. And it's not this, it's this. So what do you do when you have this, and you want this? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in the story today. matter of fact, this is an this, this incredibly awkward story. Um, but this is the main point that I want you to walk away with today. Here's the sermon in the sentence. Over time, and with the help of others, Jesus could take a mess and turn it into a miracle. Over time, piece by piece. It, it happens piece by piece. Over time, piece by piece, with the help of others... Jesus can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. Now, this is where a lot of people say, well, I don't know. I don't don't really buy into that theology. I don't see how in the world Jesus can take messes and turn them into miracles. You don't need to look any further than the crucifixion. The crucifixion was a mess, yes or no? Say yes. Yes. The resurrection was the miracle. Jesus took a mess and turned it into a miracle. Amen? And if he did it then... He can do it again. He he can do it for every single person in this room, every single person, person watching right now, if we'll simply surrender the pieces of our life and let him put us back together, piece by piece. I'll show you this, the story of a guy in the Bible named Jacob. We've talked about him before. He's in the Old Testament, and Jacob, well, Jacob had, let's say Jacob had some father issues. His, his dad was a guy named Isaac. And Isaac loved Esau, Jacob's brother, more than he loved Jacob. And so Jacob had some, some daddy issues, just like some of us have some daddy issues. Maybe we have some, some father wounds, right? Which is why when we talk about God being a perfect heavenly father, many times, if we're not careful, we'll take the image of our earthly father and we'll project it onto our heavenly father. But God is perfect. God is awesome. God loves us so much it's unbelievable. He really is the perfect father. But we've talked about Jacob before um, in this church. and We've talked about how messy he was. He was a deceiver. He was a pretender. He was pretty jacked up. And God, what's really cool about God is God didn't wait on Jacob to clean his life up. God stepped into the mess that Jacob was in. And this is what God told him. This is Genesis 28. He has a dream. Um, And in his dream, he sees this stairway resting on earth, which is reaching to heaven and Led Zeppelin's playing a song about it. And the angels, I just made that up. That's not really true. Um, but the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. It was, it was awesome. And it says this, there above it stood the Lord. He's, this is verse 13. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God, your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. All the, watch this, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offering. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. So God says, there's tons of stuff in here, but God is telling them, hey, even though you're a pretender, even though you're a deceiver, even though you are an absolute mess, guess what, Jacob? I've got great plans for you. And Jacob, if you'll just step back and you'll just trust me and and you'll just allow me, then piece by piece, I'll take the mess in your life and I'll turn it into a miracle. And we've said before that healing begins in the house of God and with the help of others. And so the place, as you read on, the place where this takes place is a place called Bethuel, which means house of God. Well, After all of this happens, God takes Jacob and he puts him in community. And here Jacob is connected with a man named Laban. And let me just go in and tell you, this is the most dysfunctional community that you could ever imagine. Like this is like a jacked up community in the Bible. And so that's a good reminder that any community of any type that has people involved in it is going to have some dysfunction. Listen to me. Every church is dysfunctional. Every family is dysfunctional. Every workplace is dysfunctional. I mean, we're all dysfunctional. But at the end of the day, you'll never become the best version of you by yourself. God will use other people in your lives to shape your life. Did you know that? Even the people that we think are crazy. Like, did you know God can use crazy people to shape you? Yes, we allow you to be our pastor, Ryan. We know. Anyway, let's move on. But that's true. So the story, the story I'm going to read to you today, it's awkward. And it seems confusing. If you're from a church background, it's it's likely you've never heard this preached on before. Because it's absolutely crazy. We're going to step into some awkwardness, just like last week. But like always, I'm just going to read you the Bible. All right? Here we go. This is Genesis 29. It says this, After Jacob stayed with him, this is Laban, After he stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you be working for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Hold up. How awesome of a conversation would that be with your boss tomorrow? If you like walked in and your boss said, Hey, why don't you tell me what your wages should be? Like how many would love to have that conversation? All of our staff, put your hands down, like right now. Like, don't, don't do it. Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. The name of the older was, and the name of the younger was, Leah had weak eyes. Now let me pause, because like there's some controversy over this in the Hebrew translation. Most scholars believe that this I'm I'm just telling you what scholars say, okay? And I tend to agree with uh, some of these and and this, but they agree that this is like a really nice biblical way of saying Leah was ugly. Okay? Like that that like legit. That that's what that means. So Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Uh-oh. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you. He's talking to his to Laban. I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. <laughs> now the first time I read this, I'm like, seven years? Dude, start at a week. Like build up for like to a month or something. Like, I mean, come on, man. Like like work the process. But this guy said, hey, I I, I like her. Like she hot. I will work for you for seven years. Some of you husbands need to look at your wife right now and say, "Baby, I would do that for you. I would work seven years." L- listen, can we admit that's one heck of an investment? But and, and don't miss this. We've talked about this before. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible, and so this is symbolic of the fact that he was saying, "I'm completely dedicated to this relationship." And men, isn't it a challenge at times? I mean, for me personally as a dad, and and as a husband, sometimes it's hard to be completely dedicated to my wife. But I need to constantly pursue her. I need to work for her. And, and, And let me tell you something. If you're here and you're single, if you're a girl, and a guy is not willing to make you special before you get, make you feel special before you get married, he won't be willing to make you feel special after you get married. How he treats you right now, really does matter. And, and this, guy, this guy's going to work for seven years. Seven years. And some of you girls are out chasing men that can't even hold down a job at Taco John's. Anyway, it's probably another message another time. Now, now, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Like there's nobody worth that. But All, the, all of us husbands in here, we would agree. I'll work seven years for you baby, I would work seven years for you. And, and the ladies are probably like, dude, I just want you to put away the dishes once in a while. Right? Anyway, verse 19. Laban said, I love his response. It's better that I give you to her than to some other man. How would you like that to be your dad? Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. I'm sure there's a country song about that. I worked a long time, but it was only a day. I don't, I don't, probably not. Anyway, then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. This is the Bible. This is the Bible. So right here, they're playing a little Barry White. Maybe got some Kenny G playing in the background, right? And then it gets really weird. Verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. And, and the feast is a, a feast. Like, it's a, it's a big party, all right? There's drinking, there's dancing, there's drinking, there's eating, there's drinking. One of the common themes in this whole thing was drinking, all right? And that's going to be a problem. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. Now, that, that's not who he was supposed to get, right? He was supposed to get who? Rachel. Because he loved Rachel, Leah had the weak eyes, right? He didn't want nothing to do with Leah. He brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. That's a little bit of a problem, yes or no? Yeah. And Laban gave his servant Zilpha to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. Notice the exclamation point. So if you're Jacob at this point, what do you say? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> like, this is messed up. Can we all agree this is messed up? So so there is there's Leah she's laying in bed like they had their thing happen that night and then Jacob goes and Jacob says to Laban, "What is this? What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me?" Because what comes around goes around, boy. Like like honestly, like that's that's kind of like what's happening right here. But he's like it's not right. It's not right what you did to me. Who cares I did it to somebody else? What you did to me is not right. And and that's correct. But I love this response. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. In other words, Jacob, just take one for the team, man. Like that's what I need you to do. Finish the work, big dog. Like like finish out the entire week. They they their marriage thing lasted an entire week, right? And so finish the week. Then we will give you the weaker or the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Verse twenty eight. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. So Jacob's fully dedicated at this point, right? His love for Rachel is greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, some of you are thinking, you're right, that was awkward. That's the non-awkward part. It's about to get really, 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 really weird here in a second. But I want you to think about this before we get there. In Genesis 28, God promised Jacob that he was going to bless him, that he was going to make an entire nation come out of him, and that he was going to have great things. God promised him this. But if you're Jacob, at this point, do you feel like this is going on? No, you feel like this is going on. Because here you are. 14 years after the promise, you're married to two women. One of them you don't want. Can we all agree? Yes or no? Can we all agree that Jacob was in the middle of a mess? Yes or no? Yes. Jacob was in the middle of a huge mess. Jacob's life was absolutely in pieces. But please understand, just because things are not going my way, does not mean that things are not going God's way. That even when we think things are out of control, that God is completely in control. And you might be in the middle of a situation where you feel like this right now, but God can take any mess and turn it into a miracle. I'm about to show you. Watch this. Pay close attention. This gets crazy. Verse 31. When the Lord saw, so now God's getting involved in this thing. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, because Jacob didn't love her, he loved Rachel, he enabled her to conceive but Rachel remained childless. This is pretty powerful. Because the Bible says that the Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. And so, if you walked into church today, if you walked into Creston, if you're watching online and you have a broken heart, the Bible says the Lord is close to those who have a broken heart. We we see that right here in the text. Verse 32. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. And he went on to make incredible sandwiches. Just kidding, I made that up, not the same guy. For he said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. She said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. That's big, that's huge. Here's an unloved woman competing for the love of her husband and she can't earn it. Verse 33, she conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this son too. So she named him Simeon. So she has two boys, right? Well, Jacob's participating in this process. But watch this. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. And he made amazing blue jeans. Anyway, <laughs> what I'm just saying here is you see, she's striving here. She she wants to be seen. She wants to be known. She's wanting Jacob's love. She's wanting his affection. She's in the middle of a mess herself. She's in the middle of all of these pieces. And then watch this. Finally, she conceived again. So this is how many? This is four, all right? And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Hold up, every time. Every single time she said, now my husband's going to love you, love me. Now my husband's going to see me. Now my husband's going to love me. My husband's going to love me. My husband's going to love me. It's the fourth kid. This is why this is significant. The fourth kid, she says, now I will praise the Lord. And that is so significant. And the reason why is it says she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Judah is the tribe. Anybody want to guess who came from the tribe of Judah. His name is G, ends with S. Jesus, Jesus, right? Listen to this. If we want to encounter the presence of God, it takes way more praising than it does complaining. I'm just saying, if you and I, if we want to encounter the presence of God, just try to figure out how to throw some praise on that prayer request and see how far that goes. Just a thought. It's in the text here, so I needed to say it. Keep reading, because it gets weirder. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. You ever been jealous of your sister? Anybody in here ever been jealous of anybody? So she said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. She's yelling at him. Don't yell today. It's Father's Day. Be nice. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, here's Billa, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children from me, and I too can build a family through her. Now, if you're Jacob, like at this point, you got three women involved. It's, it's gone from two to three. Has it added more pieces and got messier, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. So she gave him her servant, Billa, as a wife. Jacob slept with her, I guess because he's trying to be a team player, I don't know. And she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and gave me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Verse 7, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again. So Jacob's still just doing what he's doing, right? Jacob's just still getting after it. He's He's still involved in all of this. And she bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali verse 9 when leah saw that she had stopped having children she took her servant zilpha and gave her to jacob as a wife leah's servant zilpha bore jacob a son then leah said what great fortune and she named him gad so now and by counting how many women jacob with now four this is hebrew's going wild spring break edition this is unbelievable once again, this is just a scripture. This is just it. Uh, listen, I've said this for years. The Bible is not a book about how awesome people are. The Bible is a book about how awesome God is. And even in the midst of a mess, he can still use it and turn it into a miracle. Because watch this. Watch how crazy this gets. Verse 12. Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am! The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out in the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Verse 15. But she said to her, wasn't it enough you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So you got sex for plants going on right here. Like, that's, that's what you got going on in the scripture. Like, is this awkward? Is it? Like, if you're in here, if this is your first time at Central, if you're like, if your kid just started coming because now they're in sixth grade and we don't have kids church space for them anymore, Welcome. Happy Father's Day! Enjoy the ride home. Anyway, so when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me," she said. "I have hi- I have hired you with my son's mandrakes." So Jacob's like, "Okay." So he goes and Jake. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant. And bore Jacob a fifth son. Then she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. She named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulon. Verse 21. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and, and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Can we just pause and just agree this entire thing is messy? Jacob went from hearing from God and hearing God saying, I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna have a nation. I'm gonna do some stuff in your life to here we are. 15 to 20 years later, he's married to four women. He only loves one. He's got all kinds of kids. They're named after sandwiches and blue jeans. And, and it's just it's just a humongous mess. But God can take any mess and piece by piece turn it into a miracle. Piece by piece. Piece by piece. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times we don't experience that. Because of the peace that we're holding on to. And God says, hey, I want you to give that to me. And we say no. And, and then we get mad at God for for not doing that in our lives. For not taking this and turning it into this. But we're holding on to the peace that he wants to put in place to turn the mess into a miracle. So let's, let's talk about some of the pieces that we hold on to. When you came in today, if you came into one of our... If you came into our Crescent campus, you got one of these Lego pieces when you came in. You've been holding on to it. Let's talk about some of these things that you could be holding on to. Let's talk about some of the things that you need to surrender to God today. Let's let's talk about a few. Anger. Is anger one of them? Because anger is a piece that we hold on to, yes or no. Everyone, every one of us experiences anger. Listen. I have a long way to go in this issue. This week, I let anger lead to depression that almost caused me to make a dumb decision based off of emotion. All of us have had those places that we go to when we let anger consume us. Some of us, some of us, listen, some of us, anger isn't the place we go. Anger is the place that we live. And if anger is your go-to emotion every time something negative happens, It's a piece of your life, it's a piece of my life that we need to surrender to God. And let me tell you, when I say surrender to God, it's not bow your head at the end of the service and say, God, please help me to stop being angry. You will never break this problem on your own. That's why, piece by piece, with the help of others, God will take our lives and begin to put us back together piece by piece, God will help us through other people put us back together. We need other people in our lives. We need other people in our lives who we give permission to speak into our lives. We need people who say, hey, let's talk about the anger issue. That's what we need. Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's bitterness. All of us have been bitter about something, Right And listen, if anger is not dealt with in time, always leads to bitterness. And until bitterness, don't miss this, until bitterness becomes brokenness, we will never experience healing. Until we allow God to take our bitterness and turn it into brokenness, we will never experience healing. And so maybe for you, maybe bitterness is the peace. Maybe some people, you're like, I don't, I don't see how God could take anger and bitterness and turn it into something beautiful. He can. He, he does. L- listen, l- l- let me say this. Whether you surrender any of these aspects of your life to Jesus or not, he's going to use these things for his glory. The anger and the bitterness of the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus ultimately worked out for God's glory, yes or no? Yeah, because he uses everything for his glory. And so it's best to go ahead and surrender right now, and so God can begin to put the pieces back together. Number three, secret sin. Don't, listen, don't miss this. Everything comes to light. Everything. Eventually, secrets show up. If you're anyone older than the age of two, you understand that. Eventually, secrets show up. There are secrets in this story. Laban was hiding a secret from Jacob, but you can't keep a secret hidden for very long. So what's yours? What's your secret sin? What is the thing that you have in your life that you're absolutely convinced that, number one, nobody's ever dealt with this before, and number two, if people knew what I was doing, they would turn their back on me, and they wouldn't listen, they wouldn't help. What's the secret thing in your life that you need to, piece by piece, give to the Lord? Years ago, mine was porn. Like, I've, I've been very open on my struggle with pornography years ago after becoming a Christian. But you know what broke the power of pornography in my life? It wasn't me praying. Because let, let, let me tell you something, and I'm not trying to discount prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. We should pray. I can pray over this for the next 20 years, and it's not going to assemble itself. It, it's just not. There are some things that God gives us to do to put it together. And so while I prayed to overcome my pornography addiction, it did not lose its power in my life until I confessed it to a friend. And when I confessed it to a friend, the power it had over me was broken because I pulled other people into the battle that I was trying to fight by myself. And there are some people here today, you're struggling with a secret sin, you're struggling. You're hiding it. It's consuming you. It's eating you inside out. And it's not ever going to be anything you conquer on your own. You need to ask other people for help. That's why we do an invitation every week. Every week we do an invitation. Every week there are people in the back of this sanctuary where we have staff members and volunteers who want to pray with you, talk with you, pray for you. And I want to tell you something. We have prayed We have had numerous conversations with people struggling, and we've seen people get set free. And they've been set free because they're willing to say, I'm tired of fighting this fight on my own. I need the help of someone else in my life. And piece by piece, their life has been put back together. I'm glad we have a church like that. Aren't you? Number four is competition. Maybe you just don't feel like you're good enough. I'm going to preach a whole message on this sometime because I know I can compare myself to people and I can feel great. And I can compare my other, myself to other people and I can feel not so great. And that's what's happening in this story between Rachel and Leah. And competition comes from the thought of, I'm not enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not godly enough. I'm not enough. And there are so many people that hold on to this piece of competition. But if you would just surrender this to Jesus and understand that in Christ, you are enough. Listen, the cross is proof. And when we give this over, piece by piece, he begins to put us back together. Last but not least is hurt. Now we got lots of different people in our church. People in Creston, people watching online. And there are a lot of people in your life like, this is the life that you're experiencing right now. And within that, you're experiencing hurt. Legitimate hurt. It's real. You've had people try to explain it. You've had people try to pray for it. You've, told, you've had people tell you to get over it. You've had people try to coax you through it. But at the end of the day, there are those of us, someone hurt you. Someone is hurting you. Someone has hurt you. A group of people hurt you. Circumstances hurt you. A church hurt you. There are people in this church right now that if you were to pick a word to describe yourself, the word you would say is hurt. And I'm not here to tell you, hey, stop hurting, because you can't just do that. But what I am asking you is would you surrender it to the Lord? Would you surrender that hurt to the Lord? Would you be willing to admit, I don't know what I'm going to do with this? I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I don't know how to handle this. But God, if you'll take it, you can have it. Because listen to me, God, God could take all of these pieces, and even though they look messy over here, he could turn it into something beautiful over here. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things, all things, not some things, not most things, not just certain things, all things, work together for God's good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. God can take any mess and turn it into a miracle. Think about this. Go back to the story for a second because I'm sure some of you are thinking, whatever happened to Levi and Dan and Reuben and all of those other people? I mean, Jacob, he's got four wives. He's got kids everywhere. How did that turn out? Well, I'm glad you asked because those boys that were born, those are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when Israel came into the promised land, it was divided up into sections. And, and, and the first boy that was born, what was his name? His name was Reuben. And when God was putting Israel together, that was the peace. For Even, even the, the messed up situation and how crazy it was, God used Reuben and placed him exactly where he needed to be. And then there was Simeon. Simeon was born. And God put that piece into place. And then Levi was born. And the Levites, they became the priests. And they inherited several towns all over the nation of Israel when they stepped into the promised land. And then there was Judah. And Judah got a lot of land. And then there was the tribe of Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and Issachar and Zebulon. And then the two we didn't read about, Manasseh and Ephraim. Those were from the last one born to Rachel, who was Joseph. And so God over time, took a mess, all of the pieces, and turned it into the nation of Israel. He turned it into a miracle. And that nation still exists today. And if God did it then, he can do it again. Because at the end of the day, over time, with the help of others, Jesus could take any mess and turn it into a miracle. Before we do an invitation today, wherever you are, I just want to ask you, what's the peace in your life that you're holding on to? What's the piece that that you need to let go of? Maybe I listed it on the screen. Maybe I didn't list it on the screen. But you know, hey, that's something I'm holding on to. And, and, And you know you know that you can't do this by yourself because you've made promises and you've made vows and it hasn't worked. You need the power of other people stepping into your life because piece by piece, Jesus will build you up and take the broken and make it brand new. Listen, God will never turn his back on us. And piece by piece, he can pick us up and he can put us back into back together into something amazing. And so you need to be bold and surrendering today. And I want you to be bold and surrendering whatever that is. And piece by piece, piece by piece, allow God to take your mess and turn it into a miracle.